Good afternoon. My name is Glenn Parkinson, President of Canadian Club Toronto and your host for today. And welcome to those of you joining us online at canadianclub.org. Whether you're joining us in online or in person, our events rely on the generous support of our sponsors. And we'd like to welcome back Canadian Bankers Association as our season sponsor and Air Canada as our official airline sponsor. So thank you for your generous support. Canadian Club Toronto regularly invites leaders from the region to join us for our events, and today we've got a young leadership table from Toronto Metropolitan University joining us. And finally, in the spirit of partnership and support, we're pleased to share that a portion of ticket proceeds today will go to United24, the official fundraising platform of Ukraine. Now, before I introduce our guests, um, I want to remind you that our events here at Canadian Club Toronto invo involve you as um, the audience. So if you'd like to submit a question during the event, there are question cards on the table. And for those of you online, there's a button on the right-hand side that says Submit Question. So feel free to click there, and our team here will receive the questions either online or come around and grab them from the table and bring them to the panelists. And now I'm pleased to introduce our panelists, beginning with Her Excellency Yulia Kovalev, Ukraine's ambassador to Canada. Yulia Kovalev was appointed Ukraine's ambassador in 2022. Prior to joining the embassy, Ambassador Kovalev was deputy head of the Office of the President of Ukraine. She oversaw economic policy development and international financial institutions coordination. She also served as the deputy chair of the supervisory board of the national state-owned oil and gas company, Naftogaz Ukraine. Valery Kutza, CEO of Miratech Group. Miratech is a global IT services company that brings together innovators from, corporate, from the corporate world as well as startups and drives digital transformation for some of the world's largest institutions. Valerie joined Miratech 25 years ago as a software engineer and became CEO in 2008. And it's our, well, it's our honor to welcome from Kiev, Ruslan Kostetsky, Deputy Chair, Ukrainian Association of FinTech and Innovation Companies. Ruslan leads the international cooperation stream at UAFIC and is driving the promotion of Ukraine FinTech along with B2B integration of startups. Before joining UAFIC, he was country manager at SAS Institute in Ukraine. And moderating today's discussion is Andrew Graham, a very good friend of the Canadian Club and former president. Andrew's co-founder and CEO of Borowell, one of Canada's largest fintechs. And also in 2004, when working in government, he was um, the head of communications for Canada's 500-strong mission to oversee elections in Ukraine. So with that, Andrew and panelists, the Canadian Club podium is yours. Yep, two sets of stairs, so it's the choice is yours.
Good afternoon to everybody. It's a big pleasure and honor to be here today with you and with the excellent team of Canadian Club Toronto. Thank you for having this uh, discussion today. Thank you for the invitation. And thank you on behalf of all the panelists for the ability to speak after lunch. Um, because with the choice of waiting for lunch or a bit of sleep after the lunch, uh, probably uh, that is a better option to you. Uh, but um, I will try to be quick and not as boring to make your sleeping after uh, this lunch. Um, we are today uh, talking about the resilience and the technology. And we know all of us how technology is already modifying the way we live our life, the way we do business, um, the way the countries cooperate, and the way the world is living now. Um, during COVID time, it was technology who helped us all to stay together, to be able to work together, um, to be able the families to, to connect. And technology is also important now for Ukraine as Ukraine is fighting the war. Um, I will talk today a lot on the panel about the strengths of Ukrainian technology. But to begin with, I would like to say that it's a totally different war than the conventional war many of you saw uh, in the books as a Second World War. It's both the war of the tanks, it's both the war of uh, artillery, it's both the war of the missiles flying throughout our country, but it's also the war that brings technology on the important stage. Both the drones, the UAVs, and geolocation, and the other technologies that we and the people and the soldiers uh, use is an important part for our ability to first withstand and also to move forward on the battlefield. And it's also important for you to understand that who are those people who are fighting now uh, the, uh, on the battlefield in Ukraine? Uh, who are those soldiers, men and women? And many of them are former your colleagues. A lot of them went from the business sector, a lot of them were lawyers, some of them were journalists, many of them were IT people who voluntarily within the first days when Russia started this illegal invasion, who voluntarily stood the lines and conscript to the army. And they brought a lot to the army. They brought the business perspective of efficiency, they brought with them the technology, they brought with them innovation and agility. Agility to survive, to adapt, to find the new ways on how to go further. So uh, this is a big part of what helps Ukraine to move further on the battlefield, and we are moving um, as a counteroffensive goes. And the other thing of the technology was actually helping the country to manage to go through this uh, 18 months of the war. You can imagine 4 a.m. in the morning, alarms and missiles are flying all over the country. And the biggest fight for many people at that time was that the mobile connection could fall down. And nobody will know what's happening, how to get contacted with the relatives, friends. There was no single 
no single minute that the mobile connection was not working. And I'm pleased to say that one of the managers of the big telecom cooperator who was helping to make it possible is today with us. I would like to make applause to her and a lot of mobile operators who made this possible. It was really <laughs> heroic. And then the government, which need to work and make important decisions as the war starts. And because Ukraine has built strong digital governance, the strong processes that allow people to work remotely, digitally, making decisions, circulating the documents quickly, the government was able to work efficiently with different locations, from different locations, with people flying from the uh, surroundings of Kyiv occupied, but there was none of the day that the, all the government agencies had stopped to work because of technology. And the third thing about Ukrainians. We have seven million of IDPs. The people who lost, a lot of them lost their homes, lost their documents, lost their beloved ones, and they moved to other places of the country. There are six millions of people who uh, flew to Europe, to Canada, to North America, to find a safer place during the war. And many of them were not able to get a traditional way of the government services, which they need. And that's very basic, from the passport, to the banking card, to the other birth certificates of children, and many other things you usually do in a normal life. And that's because of the technology and the digital governance and the digital services that Ukraine built. All of them can get them online from every part of the world, and it's working. And I would say what, what I usually show the uh, government application, what we Ukrainians have to get the digital services, starting from the digital passport, digital driving license, I can sign my agreement putting a digital signature online in my iPhone. So as an ordinary Ukrainian, I can travel throughout the country, get all of the services I need as a citizen, having only my iPhone, or not an iPhone, smartphone, proper to say. And it helped a lot the country to get as many processes closer to normality. Because otherwise, if we will be the country stick to the paper, stick to all of the paper processes, you can imagine the people fleeing the war under the stress. Many of them lost their beloved ones. None of them will ever write a long email or stand with the lines to get the services. And we need to value this uh, strong technology that Ukraine developed. And we are sharing the stories just to you to understand how much technology helps us in the situation where we cannot live the normal life. But what is the backbone of this technology? The backbone of this technology is the strong leadership of our technology leading the government and also a robust Ukrainian talent to build in this technology. Um, Ukraine has built, even before the war, 
the strong governance and the strong leadership in the government to promote technology and to promote IT sector. Um, we have a special vice prime minister who is, uh, who is 31 year old, who've done almost all of the things in terms of the digital government. I think she, he's a genius, to be frank. Um, and he is driving the whole government to move digitally as quick as possible. And I think we are now one of the best in Europe in terms of digital technology. Um, but also, besides the leadership, we have over 350,000 people working now in Ukrainian IT industry. And now each year, we will educate 50,000 more students who will graduate from IT, uh, AI, and the other digital technology from Ukrainian universities. And the government is putting a lot of efforts to help. But it's not only the government. We need to have, and we have a strong industry who supports us, who supports the private sector, and who is also, as Mirata Group, here working outside Ukraine for many companies abroad uh, with their solutions. So the IT sector of Ukraine in 2022, imagine the war time, uh, recordly exported $7.3 billion, which is 18.2 times more than, more than 10 years ago. And it's now 45% of all exports of services, services Ukraine is providing. And it's account almost 5% of the GDP of the country. It's a huge for us and it's well known in the world. We have over 2,300 companies, uh, IT companies, technology companies in Ukraine. As I mentioned, around 360,000 IT people working in the industry. And around 72% of companies are not only services, but they are the product companies as well. Uh, we put a lot of efforts, as I mentioned, in the education building the strong backbone for the industry to grow. But there is one more thing which makes Ukraine IT sector very compatible. That is the taxation. Um, I would say it's even, it's hard to imagine, but um, we created a special tax regime, um, which is called the DSCD uh, for the IT companies who were registered under this regime. Uh, the overall tax for the salary for the IT specialist will be around 10%, no matter how much they earn. If you put it on the global map, if you take it into the comparison, um, it's very favorable. <laughs> and, uh, and the third important thing is, is about the resilience. And I think today Meratech will uh, will tell how the IT companies are working during the war time, during the time when there are the attacks on the critical infrastructure, when there is no electricity. Uh, but from many clients who are working with Ukrainian companies, what I'm hearing and my colleagues are hearing, none of them ever delayed any deadline. None of them ever broke the contract. People sitting in the metro stations, people sitting in the basements, uh, continue to work to make your companies and to make your services stronger and better. And this is about the resilience. 
This is the resilience of the core Ukrainian people who are both fighting using the technology and fighting for technology to go to the global market. And as Ukrainian ambassador, I would ask you to partner more. To partner more not only because you love Ukraine and you support Ukraine, but also because it's really strongest thriving uh, technology sector that makes a lot of life of people, your clients, your products easier, better. And I do believe and I hope that this kind of events and the more we will make this year with IT industry here in Canada, you will get more to know and you will be excited how many unicorns, I'm not here to advertise the companies, but how many unicorns have their origins from Ukraine, have their teams in Ukraine, and how many products you use basically are Ukraine made. Thank you. Well, Ambassador, thank you for that. That was a terrific start to our conversation. Uh, and just before we get into some of the discussion, I think it's important to acknowledge something, which is that at the Canadian Club, we routinely host CEOs, we routinely host uh, senior diplomats, we routinely host people that represent industries. But there's nothing routine about this situation. We have a country that's uh, been invaded, a country that, that's at war, and you know, looking out on this audience, uh, you know, many people with backgrounds like ours who were working in finance or IT or, or many other sectors two years ago find themselves on the front line of a conflict today, of an armed conflict. And uh, I just wanted to start off the conversation by saying uh, how I, and I'm sure I speak for, for hopefully all of us in this room, just want to acknowledge uh, the bravery uh, and the resilience uh, of, the, of both the government and companies and indeed the people of Ukraine uh, over, the last, uh, over the last period. And uh, it, it truly is rem remarkable. So just as we to get into this, uh, first of all, Ruslan, can you hear us? Can you hear us, Ruslan? Yes, Andrew, I'm here. Perfect. That's great. I mean, we're, we're so glad you're here with us. C can you just tell us a little bit about where you are today and what life is like on the ground in Ukraine? Uh, thank you, Andrew, for intro. Uh, thank you, colleagues, for... Uh, invitation to take part in this event. Thank you, uh, Ambassador Kovalev, Mr. Kutsi, for being on the same chair today with you. And Ukraine right now, we have evening. We have dark, but no um, alarm from missiles. We have quiet in Kyiv. And uh, from the point of view of FinTech, uh, I represent Ukrainian FinTech Association, uh, the business the companies in IT, in fintech, and everything what is going in online and makes money in online. We call it fintech, edutech, whatever, medtech. Uh, the sector is recovering. Sector is trying to come to normal business to try to find some opportunities abroad, to find uh, partners, to find uh, some opportunity to save uh, stock and make business uh, supported by any opportunities from uh, international cooperation, from new networking in Ukraine. A lot of uh, foreign companies, uh, representatives, foundations are coming to Ukraine to support Ukraine and to give us new opportunities. And uh, this situation is influencing all other steps we are trying to do, like 
we call it stand with Ukraine. And uh, as we can see at Ukrainian fintech, uh, Ukrainian fintech is about 250 companies. And if we see at the IT sector, IT sector is about 5,000 companies. And when the war started, it's evident that small part of fintech couldn't make a great job, but thanks to the big companies like Miratech and other companies, uh, it was a time to uh, make the process efficient. What uh, ambassador said that companies could go to cloud, uh, militaries could uh, try to find uh, new solutions for actions in Ukraine, in the front line. A lot of people were relocated to Western Ukraine and a lot of uh, people were relocated even abroad uh, because women could go there. And due to big and systematic IT business, the contracts proceed going on. Money were trying to be kept within companies. People had jobs. And beside the business stop like credits, online credits, uh, a lot of services in online, they were put on hold, but due to the international business, which companies tried to do before the war, uh, we got sustainable and efficient process in IT, in FinTech, and right now we try to recover this. It's like situation. Uh, well, I can, uh, you know, uh, we often say that it's, it can be challenging running a technology company, a fintech company in Canada. I can only imagine what it's like for, for your members. And thank you very much for that, that sort of macro overview of, of what it's been like in, in the sector. Um, Alexi, maybe I can turn to you. What's it, what's it been like running a company where I believe about a third of your, of your employees are in Ukraine? And I know some of them were working from subway stations and other locations like that. And, and maybe just before you answer that, you can give folks in the audience a better understanding of Miratech. Maybe there are future customers in the room. So uh, maybe give the sort of the brief overview of Miratech and what, it, what, what has it been like to run a company where so many of your employees are, are in Ukraine? Thank you, Andrew. Uh, I almost like, like to start with answer to your question and uh, reflection to what you said, that it's difficult to run business in Ukraine, yeah. much more difficult than fintech company much more difficult to run in Ukraine than in Canada. That's what you said, but I almost like disagree saying that if you have great people, it's easy to run business and we have great people and that uh, makes work of every CEO very easy. Uh, talented people, uh, hardworking people, well-educated people. Uh, they may work overtime if, if it's necessary. It's really, I, I would never say that it was difficult to run business even in a wartime and then maybe I can give some more examples. Um, Coming back to your question about Miratech, uh, we are the oldest company in Ukraine. And we are not the biggest, but we are the oldest. Uh, not the biggest uh, as uh, history was dramatic and the uh, company was established by uh, scientists and scientists had scientific visions, they had no marketing vision. So that's, uh, we were a little bit back and forth. And uh, at some point Miratech was a part of public group, uh, um, Scandinavian, uh, we were selling business to Scandinavian uh, uh, large conglomerate called Telenor and in 2007, then we were buying it back in 11. So it was always a little bit back and forth. And uh, uh, I would say in a certain way, dramatic history, uh, which is good for us because um, uh, you, you, get, you can prepare it to all kinds of uh, anomalies, including, including war. Uh, from uh, um, 
territory and client perspective, we are currently operating in 25 countries. That's where we employ our people in 25 uh, countries. And uh, our biggest markets are uh, United States and uh, Canada is emerging for us. We, we, we are, uh, just started one year ago our uh, small baby subsidiary here in July. July last year we opened our branch here in Canada. First uh, 20 plus people uh, working here. Some of them are uh, our best uh, members of team uh, here, including uh, Amanda. Thank you for bringing me here, by the way. I would not sit here without your energy. And um, working for multinational uh, corporations, primarily, uh, um, we are a company of a small number of clients. We are uh, integrator, very active in customer experience space. Uh, as a service integrator, all kind of uh, chatbot technologies, call center technologies, that's where we are. And working for uh, primarily multinational uh, corporations, Fortune 1000, uh, but not limited to. And I missed it, there was another question. Yeah, uh, Valeri, uh, what's it like for your employees? And what's it like running a company where you have so many employees mm -hmm. in, a, in a war zone? Yeah, we, we, uh, you know, we have a company with history, 33 years old, so we, we, we can see how things are developing. And we had some sort of uh, uh, DNA um, which um, uh, helped us to come really prepared. And, and that's a true story that uh, when war started, uh, there were no milestones uh, missed or projects failed. Uh, partially in our case, not just because people were, I would say, uh, relentless, uh, maybe, uh, if this is the right, right word to, to, to say that, uh, but also partially uh, to the fact that we were able to do some redundancy with employees who were outside of Ukraine. Uh, that's, that war which we see now, it's basically, it, it didn't start in 2022. It started in 2014. And uh, that was a time when it, be, to me at least, it was obvious that um, that's a beginning, that's not the end, and, it, and we will see phase two and maybe more. And in 2014, we, we were still a 100% um, Ukraine-based company. We had only one employee working outside of Ukraine in. Uh, Washington DC, our first uh, American um, colleague. And um, at that time, uh, when we uh, see this first invasion, which at that point in time, there was, there was no, it was not officially, right? right. So there was some just this people the, volunteering, just green, uh, green men. You right, know, the, the invasion uh, of Crimea. And, and, uh, Crimea, and, and yep. also it was east of Ukraine, Donetsk and, uh, uh, and uh, Lugansk. And, um, at that time, we, we saw that um, basically st things started happening, and uh, we, over all these uh, eight years until the start of the war, we organically, without much of M&A activity, there was all basically no M&A activity, we, we step by step, we were investing into diversification, building, uh, building our presence outside of Ukraine, and, uh, and uh, we've done basically everything to be 100% prepared. So we, we, it may be hard to believe, but uh, um, what I'm saying here. But when war started, I, I didn't spend more than one hour on Miratech business when war started. I just, it was 60 minutes a day was enough for me to keep Miratech business up and running, and I was spending the balance of my time just to throw all my networks and channel just to knock all the doors and help, you know, help, uh, help, help uh, Ukraine in multiple ways, including all these embargoes and sanctions and uh, knocking uh, 
every company I could uh, reach, so they stopped doing business in Russia. So I was focused on, on these uh, areas. So we were very well prepared when this thing started. And par partially, uh, we partially one thing which was working very well for us is that uh, we adopted uh, two years ago, two years before war started, almost like two years before war started, uh, work from any web policy, so that our people were not really coming to the office already for two years. Uh, all our units and projects and 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 service uh, units they were they got used to this remote environment, uh, working from home, working from from anywhere, working from vacation. If you if you if you have uh, traveling and uh, partially vacation, partially uh, working time, so that people were educated how to work in this environment. And when in Ukraine infrastructure was sort of collapsed for first one. First two weeks were very, very difficult, uh, and you, you cannot go to office. Of, offices were obviously closed and so on. People were already trained how to work in this environment, and it was just sort of normal for them. Obviously, there were interruptions. Obviously, some people were not available. Obviously, some people were not working, but then we were able to, we had some redundancy in people who were, who were staying in Poland and in uh, India, whenever they were able to, uh, to provide a backup, so that, uh, that's why it was really uh, very easy for us to keep business running, and um, very grateful to all of our clients. We didn't have any single client who, who left, who, who reduced business or who stopped business and so on. So it was uh, um, really eight years of preparation, and uh, we saw these things are coming. That partially for this reason, it was maybe easier for us, a little easier than for, for other people, uh, but I saw other companies were resilient, uh, and I saw that you know, very successful also handling this uh, drama. Well, I can only imagine how hard it must be to build a company uh, while preparing or being prepared for uh, you know, a second invasion, which it sounds like is exactly what, what you've been, you and your team have been doing. So uh, that's very admirable. Um, you know, given the re resilience and the you know, courage that we've been hearing about, um, uh, Ruslan and Valeri, Ambassador, maybe I can turn to you. you know, Canada obviously has done quite a bit to uh, support Ukraine, but, but so have many other con uh, countries, and there's obviously great need. You know, how do you see Canada's response? Is it, have we done enough? Is there, is, you know, or, or how do we compare to other countries? Um, thank you, and of course, Canada is, Canada and Ukraine have special relations, and uh, they have been built with a lot of people ties. For over 130 years, when first Ukrainians moved to Canada and start, especially like, uh, that started in the prairies, but uh, on the personal level, I would say there is no single day in Canada I'm not meeting the person either from Ukraine or with Ukrainian roots or having traveled to Ukraine or having Ukrainian friends. Um, and I think that that also helped more understanding what, what, what is on stake. And I'm really, we are really grateful how Canada quickly, with no doubt, stood with Ukraine was the really strong and powerful, not only the diplomatic, not only the political message, but the real steps of support, uh, including uh, the decision to send weapons. This is something what I think for many countries before the full-scale invasion, um, they were not sending for us. The weapons, uh, the the such the aggressive invasion, what what we saw all together, it was late night, as I understand, on the February 
uh, 23rd here in Ottawa. It was early morning in Kyiv. Um, and that is, help, that is helping us to fight uh, for our country, uh, but also for the rule-based order. Uh, because what we need to all to understand that it's not only Ukraine fighting for our borders and our people who are living under the occupation. It's also we are fighting to live in the world where rules are respected, borders of the countries are respected, and diplomacy, not the military power, is prevailing in how we deal with the things where we have different views. Because otherwise, it's not only the other countries from different regions is watching, but it's also the ways how the world will be shaped in the decades ahead. And that's a big mistake. Um, and I think, and I'm really grateful for like a lot of understanding of this and standing uh, strong with us. And uh, we are really grateful for the robust financial support. I'm, and we are able today to talk about the technology resilience. But we need also to understand that last year, the economy of Ukraine shrinks 30%. 30%. And imagine, plus the government have huge spendings to support military. And Canada is among the top leaders to provide the financial support to Ukraine. Um, and that helps Ukrainian government to support teachers, doctors, pensioners, internally displaced people, those who are most vulnerable and who are continued to work uh, inside the country. And that is very valuable because it helps the country and the people to live through these hard times. And of course, the sanction pressure. I know that here there are a lot of people from the private sector. And for many Canadian companies who made their decision to left Russian market, uh, we say huge thank you. It's really important to know that the sanctions also are working and that Russia making such an illegal invasion um, and committing these all war crimes, um, it's not only risky to do business with them, but it's also something that they need to feel that uh, there is a huge price for that crimes that they committed. And, but still, to be frank, and as we have today a, a discussion around the technology, unfortunately still Russia has access to many of the technologies. And unfortunately still it has an impact on their ability to continue their military production. Although it was reported that they become very creative to import washing machines to get some chips, um, because no other way was possible. But, um, but still, in reality, they still have the ability and they still have the access to, of technology. And that is not only for the governments to make their decision on the sanctions list, but I think it's also for the uh, business, for the private sector to make a right choice and to stop not only like the actions of the companies, but also encourage the others and all of the supply chain uh, not to work with Russia. Um, and here Canada is one of the leaders um, on this sanction file on, 
on helping us to build the legal cases to bring uh, Russia to justice. But the war goes on and Ukrainian soldiers are moving uh, in a counteroffensive. For you to imagine, there are the areas where each and every square meter has been mined. So if you just make a step one meter right or left, you can be killed by the, by the mine. And that is where uh, Ukraine is cleaning that to make, to go further into the counteroffensive. But we need to win this war and we need your support and we need the stable support for us to be able. We have, you see Ukrainians, both uh, us here, both Ukrainians connecting line, like 40 million country is resistant. 40 million country is courage. And the people want to fight back and bring them back their land, our land, our people back from the occupation. The only thing we need is your support helping us to, to do it. Um, because we learned the stories of, of appeasement of Putin. We went through it in 2014-15. We ended up in the full-scale war that already hurt global food prices, global energy prices, global supply chain, climate. So these are the things where the impact of Russian full-scale invasion have more than Ukrainian borders or the Europe. Thank you. Those are great points to, uh, to remind us all of. Um, Ruslan, if I can turn back to you, um, uh, given that you're in the country. Summer's over. We've got a counteroffensive. You've got a counteroffensive, of course, that's, that's um, going on and may have a limited number of weeks to go before winter. What is the mood amongst your members and amongst your, your friends and neighbors uh, as we go into uh, you know, a second winter at war? Thank you, Andrew. It's um, like, I can say it has two parts of answer. The first one that uh, my friends and startups are buying actively power banks. It's like, like backup power supplies, is that right? Yeah. yeah, to have it at home, at office, whatever, in the car, because you can stay without electricity. And uh, we had this... Uh, Situation last winter, and it was uh, sometimes dramatically when you have uh, some online workshop or event like today and everything turns off. So we want to escape the situation this year, but from the practical side of uh, this question, the first of all uh, is the desire of companies to and startups, fintechs, IT companies, small teams, to recover their business activities and uh, they come to us as uh, association as fintech association for some assistance and uh, their voice to the market to international partners we are cooperating with because we are trying to cooperate with international fintech associations in different countries also in canada to find some opportunities how we can uh, scale uh, networking how we can find new opportunities for our members and in this uh, search, we uh, try to communicate with different organizations like International Financial Corporation, European Commission. And finally, with the European Commission, we agreed to uh, get uh, fund, funds and grant 
to develop uh, for Ukrainian companies so-called matching platform for IT for fintech companies who are suffering from lack of contracts right now and the decrease in the money they can pay to their staff. And we are trying to develop right now the project. We call it FinTech and Innovations Me Open Up a Platform for Business Sustainability in Ukraine. And it has two very important words in the naming, like matching and API. Uh, and I would like to say that what the ambassador said, we are very active in digital, like government, like uh, uh, society and also like business and uh, the government program is that in 2025 uh, in the middle of the year the open rp uh, open banking uh, legislation will go into force and a lot of uh, international companies a lot of startups local will get new opportunities for so-called rp economy and i suppose that big integration companies big international uh, company startups will get new opportunities in Ukraine and we welcome any company, any business, any financial business which could like to make business in Ukraine. We have 42 million people and it's a great market. So after the war, everyone is welcome, even during the war, because uh, the earlier we start, the earlier we will get some result. And the mood of uh, the business of fintechs, of uh, companies, we are talking to banks and uh, financial companies which are working in, in online is uh, saying that they're recovering the market up to 40, 50% right now, but it's not the rate which was before the war. And also companies are coming to us and asking uh, Ruslan, uh, what we will do after the war or even uh, next year, and the question is in the new uh, behavior of the online market. We are getting new segments of uh, people we need to work with. It's veterans. It's people who suffered from the war. And uh, we need to understand how online, how digital business will help them, help to recover, help to re return to Ukraine, their families, uh, make safer education process to students and children. Because up to now, my nephew who uh, entered university three years ago, he was no day in university for ed education process because the whole education process for these three years was online. And he lacked this networking with his other students with some emotions, et cetera, et cetera. It's very difficult uh, situation for students, for schools right now, but we are trying to make this digital infrastructure. Fortunately, uh, nobody can hit digital infrastructure, online services. And uh, if we need a lot of time to recover physical infrastructure, like electricity, uh, some constructions, online is very quick for reconstruction. And we welcome everyone who would like to come to Ukraine for digital reconstruction, for recovery. And the FinTech Association is ready to host on the ground such opportunities. Uh, well, that's a terrific offer, Ruslan, and, and uh, I, I'm glad that you've sort of teed us up for talking uh, about what happens after the war. And by the way, if I understood properly, it sounds like Ukraine is moving forward on open banking at a much faster rate than Canada, which should be a big uh, source of shame for, for, those, uh, for those of us here involved in, that, uh, in that, involved in that effort. But that's great to hear that Ukraine at least is moving forward. 
Um, maybe I can turn, and I know we have to unfortunately wrap things up. Maybe I can go quickly, um, uh, uh, Valerian Ambassador, if you, if you could talk just you know, briefly about what you're each looking forward to, uh, whether personally or professionally, uh, once the war is over. Ambassador, why don't we start with, uh, with you? What we? What, what, what are you looking forward to? What, what, what are you excited about uh, uh, doing, both professionally or personally, perhaps, once the war is over, which we all hope will happen uh, soon? So after the victory, you mean? Pardon, after the victory, you mean? After the victory, exactly. <laughs> um, that will be a big thing where we will not only talk about the rebellion, so that's about the building a new car country. I mean, uh, for us, rebuilding of Ukraine post-war is building better. Uh, now is the time for preparation. So for many companies I'm meeting here in Canada and I'm hearing that a lot of them still are reluctant to take a war risk, which we work on the other side for insurance uh, to provide. Uh, but even with that, uh, what I encourage to is to start exploring and looking and getting more information about Ukraine, whether it's their digital sector, whether it's IT, whether it's infrastructure, energy, agri-sector. So after the victory, you will be prepared to go on the ground and explore. This will be more than $400 billion of the investment of the country, which is all already a candidate to EU member and on an expedite path to e full EU membership, uh, future NATO member uh, on a path to that. So, and the big support of the international community was the, was the rebuilding file. So that will be uh, really the big thing to do. Um, in terms of the technology, um, Ruslan told about uh, the new legislation. I would say that you, Ukraine is also the country who already adopted the legislation, for example, of virtual assets, uh, which is uh, for a lot of companies who are working uh, in that sector. It's really one of the pioneers in the world. And in terms of the fintech, there is also the small story I just want to, to share with you. Uh, when you were talking, and thank you for also uh, donating to United24, that is the platform. I think never done it before, when the government and president as the supporter and the leader for the fundraising. Uh, United24 is the official government of Ukraine program, where you donate officially to the accounts of the National Bank of, uh, uh, of Ukraine, but also within the first days of the war. It was cryptocurrency, and Ukraine was accepting it. Ukraine has the legislation for the cryptocurrency, and even a lot of the nations from the IT sector within the first months of the war, we are talking about tens of millions of dollars were coming in cryptocurrency. That's the new world. That's the new technology and regulation in the financial sector. And the war pushed us to be more digital, to be more innovative, to be closer to the clients, and the clients are the people of Ukraine, whatever services we are providing them, either the government or the private sector. And that is a big drive for us to become more efficient as the war puts a lot of uh, challenges behind us. 
Okay, well, that, that's a terrific uh, uh, vision for after the victory, as you say. I, I know we're almost out of time, but I, I want you to take us home, Valeria, here. Talk about what you're excited about for when the war is over. I'll try to be short. Uh, after the victory, we will celebrate. <laughs> Maybe for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and, uh, and then we need to, we will have more work after the victory. Uh, we will have to uh, focus how to make Kiev, uh, if I can say this, great again. As it was 500 years ago, Kiev needs to be a, a regional, regional capital so that all, uh, all processes and all, all, uh, all capital and business and, uh, and talent and, and uh, all great people need to be around Kiev. Moscow is just a mistake, you know, just a historical mistake. We need to correct it. We need to make sure that these things will never repeat. We will not see this again. And uh, that's a lot of work. Thank you very much. <laughs>